0: and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast hosted by Aaron Fifield.
1: Hey folks, what's good? Welcome to episode 187 of Chat with Traders. So I had this idea recently that it might be an interesting exercise to have a few less experienced traders on the show. On Twitter, I wrote, I'd like to chat with someone who one, has just completed their first year of full-time trading. Two, started with a minimum of $20,000. Three, is or isn't profitable. Not important as long as he or she is taking deliberate action to improve. From this tweet, I received an overwhelming number of DMs for consideration and after filtering through them all, there were several people who really stood out and who I will be speaking with. So there's going to be several episodes in the near future with guests who fit this general description. The first cab off the rank though is Joshua Evans, my guest for this episode. He's 30-something years of age, living in Melbourne, Australia, and he's actively trading ASX equities. This conversation with Josh follows his progression from newbie investor to intraday trader, including his motivation and preparation for going full-time. A few specific things which have helped Josh to get his equity curve pointing in the right direction, which you can take a look at for yourself in the show notes at chatwithtraders.com slash 187. Plus, deliberate processes Josh has implemented for improvement. One piece of advice he received that made a big difference, and that's not all. I think I made a great decision to bring Josh on for this episode. He was a fantastic guest, and I am sure you will agree. And I'm also sure he'll be back at some point too. And now, showtime folks, 187, Josh Evans, here we go
2: go too big and then you have this huge loss first day back. You're just like, oh, mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that really rattles your confidence. Oh, definitely. Anyway, man, let's get into things. Um, I'd like to ask you straight away, like, what were you doing prior to trading? What were you doing before you got into this?
2: Yeah, sure. So, I was a radiographer for 11 years. So, yeah, working in hospitals and stuff. Yeah, doing basically – I sort of specialized in CT but went through – Starting in X-ray, all that sort of stuff, hospitals, and then ended up in a private practice. And yeah, I was a chief chief radiographer there, which was kind of good because I had it like more of a, I was still clinical but an admin role as well. So I did have my laptop in the corner watching the, the uh, market as well. Hope <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> my employees are <laughs> not listening. Uh, so,
1: how did the the interest in trading actually come about?
2: Yeah, so I. I actually went, so I lived overseas for a few years, um, doing radiography, and so I was in the UK, and over there you just get much more sort of responsibility within the role, and so coming back to Australia, I, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I came back and, and then I sort of felt like I'd taken a backward step, really, um, you know, because we couldn't do half the things that, you know, we were um, doing over in the UK, and I think that's all because of. The NHS is so understaffed, so whereas over here we've got a decent workforce within our health system. So, yeah, the, the like, I just felt I wasn't doing as much as I used to, and I actually started looking um, into. I wanted to sort of keep moving up in the world, I guess, and keep challenging myself. So I, I wanted to actually do medicine, um, you know, get into study medicine just to sort of keep working in health. I thought, oh well, that's probably the next step. And a cut a long story short, basically, I did the GAMSAT, and, which is the entry exam. And there's a few other sort of variables you have to get through. But I did that. And anyway, I didn't end up getting in all because of my GPA from uni. So that kind of – it, it I, I hit a crossroads, really. I was like, oh, you know, I want to sort of move on from um, radiography and not sort of cap. I and mean, it doesn't all come down to money, but – you know radiography is pretty capped, I guess and and then so I started looking at other other ways to sort of get a better paying job, I guess. and that's when I started looking um, yeah into the market.
1: Okay, yeah, that totally makes sense. and what was your what was your first introduction, if you will, once you did start looking at the market? like where did your experience begin there?
2: <laughs> yeah, so I wouldn't recommend this, but um, I had look, I had a bit of money come through from inheritance, and um, you know, obviously, I thought, okay, this is a good start. You know, I might as well make a positive out of negative. So that's when I had money to sort of put into the market. I didn't start big or anything like that, but you know, the, I got a, a mate. Oh, you got some money? How about you chuck chuck it into this this gold stock, this gold spec? You know, it's going to go to a dollar. It's going to do this, all that sort of stuff. And you know, my eyes lit up, thinking, oh, this is too good to be true, and course it was but luckily I got away unscathed and as I said, I didn't have a heap of money like it wasn't a big position whatsoever but I th- that was the first introduction for me and I, I really didn't like the feeling of not knowing why the stock was moving up and down and so yeah from that little introduction that's where sort of my passion for just learning as much as I could about the market that's where that all came into play
1: okay so, you took a bit of a risk on uh, one particular gold stock.
2: Yeah, just the one. So, I had no real idea about, you know, spreading your risk, diversifying a portfolio, things like that. But, I mean, from that experience, it, it did lead me into um, looking at a sort of play it a bit safer. But, uh, yeah, as I said, that first first little dabble, I guess, you, if you will, yeah, was what sort of started it all for me. Okay. Tell
1: me about was it around 2015 that you started investing in or getting a bit more active with the investing?
2: Yeah, well, I was probably quite lucky. I timed it well. You know, we had that sort of around 2015, 16. We had that sort of mining spec run, I guess. If you, and um, especially in lithium, lithium stocks um, over here on the ASX. So I again, I probably was quite lucky that you know, I had where there was it was active, there was a lot of, a lot happening in that sort of end of the market, you know, so it didn't sort of bore me out of it, you know, I've seen of late, they're just those sort of stocks that I used to, um well, I was investing back then, yeah, they've been beat down and geez, they've just bore you out, so, but yeah, that's when I, I really got started and because there was a lot happening, accelerate your learning curve somewhat because you're not just sitting there each day twiddling your thumbs, having a look and you know things were moving 5 10% a day and they'd pull back a bit and yeah so I, and as i said i just didn't like not understanding why these were moving so i just started devouring books online courses some good some bad um, and yeah that's that's probably the yeah the best year for me to start if, if i look back and have a think about it i was quite lucky in that aspect yeah
1: so you say you were quite lucky but what what gave you the idea to actually put your money into these lithium companies?
2: I, I did do a lot of research, and I say that with a grain of salt. But uh, you know, we've especially over here and on the um, on the ASX, as <laughs> everyone's heard of the, the forum type website, Hot Copper, and so that's that's kind of what. There, there was some people on there with some really good knowledge, and there was a lot of people who just you know. Just obviously shilling the stock. Yeah, that's kind of where I sort of learned how to look into researching um, whether, you know, certain companies were buying mines that had been mined before, sorry, you know, tenements that had been mined before or had been drilled before, even back when, you know, lithium wasn't the hot stock. So there was that, that's when I started to realize, okay, you can kind of get a little bit of a head start here um, by, you know, looking out, seeing if you can find any old drilling, drilling reports or things like that. And yeah, I got really lucky with, uh, one stock AVZ. Um, I got in quite early there and the reason I was pretty confident, it wasn't actually my real research. It was, it was somebody else on that forum who would just done a lo- you know, so much research had found or had purchased all these old, um, articles on, I think when, um, the Belgians were mining this, 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 um, this tenement was in uh, the Congo. So there was a lot of talk like, oh, it's never going to mine, things like that. But it didn't worry me because I'd seen that sort of first lithium bull run where things were just going crazy. Anything that drilled well, you know, they were they were bagging left, right, and center. So I, I just thought if I can get set, um, you know, maybe I can make a decent bit of money on this. And, yeah, that's, that's probably – I mean, it is – you're right. There was some research into it, but at the same time, it's all about timing, isn't it? Not sort of being the last on the train.
1: <laughs> yeah, you said that right. <laughs> yeah. Can you share just rough numbers about how much you made during this period?
2: Yeah, sure. I did. Into the AVZ trade, I put in about, I think once I'd built my position, I built it around between 1, one cent and 2.4 cents. And I ended up taking I had about a twenty five thousand dollar position. I ended up taking it out at twenty one point five cents, but that was on the way back down and I think it reached a high of thirty-eight eight cents. So it was around a million shares. So it's pretty easy. It was a million shares at thirty-eight cents was three hundred and eighty grand. And but to me that was you know, that was like, All right, I'm doing pretty well here. But I mean at the same time that that really got blown out of the water, that stock. And, you know, it's trading down at four or five cents at the moment. So I was lucky I took it out up the top. So I, I ended up pulling out about $215,000 out of $25,000 position. So it was a great start and it it did give me um, money that that to put aside that I can, you know, really give intraday trading a go because that's where I really wanted to sort of head. Um, I didn't really like the fact of the overnight risk like one day it goes up 10% the next day it goes down 15 the next day it goes up 12 yeah it was it was hard to sleep at night i'm not going to lie
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> well let's get into that tell me about
1: the motivator to go full time
2: yeah so probably yeah the motivator was i wanted to get into intraday trading because i think that just suits my personality better you know i don't like sitting there waiting i'm not the most patient person so I'd started. That's you know when I came across Chat with Traders actually, and you know I'd started listening to a lot of the guys who do intraday trading, and I really thought, yeah, that you know that suits me to a T. You know, that's right up my alley. So I started thinking, well, you can't intraday trade just by sitting there for one hour a day. I mean, you can you can trade the open, I guess, but I don't know. To me, the way the market unfolds the rest of the day is almost like a bit of a blueprint as to how it's going to maybe. Act the next day especially in some stocks you know levels things like that so I started to realize that I needed to sort of I needed to put time into it um, and yeah what I did was I spoke to my employers and I, was, and I was I was worked pretty hard at this the place I was at and you know it was a busy clinic and I said look I I really want to go part-time and have one day off a week and they they knew I was into trading and and I said, oh, is this a trade? And I said, oh, well, yeah, it is. But, um, you know, I, I think it'd be quite good for my... Oh, I felt like I was getting burnt out as well. Um, and, you know, I said that. And anyway, they agreed that I could have one day off a week. And that's where it sort of started to head in towards that full, full-time. full um, That was the plan to go full-time. But, you know, obviously, I wasn't going to chuck all the eggs in the one basket straight away. I wanted to get a feel for it, get the setup, um, and, you know, set all my uh you know try all the different software things like that see what what fit me best i guess
1: seems like you took a pretty smart approach to this like you uh will capitalized you had a decent sum of money behind you like you weren't living week to week and you kept your job you just dropped down your hours so that you could have some time to watch the market intraday um, even if it was just one day a week to begin with
2: yeah that's it i think and that's probably what's yeah it's helped me I I did have that that little foundation even though when it did come to going full time I realized well wow, I don't I, I know nothing but and when I look back I'm like okay I did know something and I had that foundation there um which was a little step up when I did go to full time and it wasn't as overwhelming I guess
1: yeah now I'm not sure if where this fits into the timeline exactly but I th- this may have also contributed in some way or being a bit of a motivator. Uh, you were diagnosed with uh, some form of cancer, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, so it's funny, you know, I worked in, in radiography, and you know, doing scans, CT scans every day that sort of diagnosed people with cancer. And, you know, I had these lumps in my neck and, you know, being, being a typical guy, I was like, oh, no, they'll go away. And anyway, probably I buried my head in the sand for probably three months and um, yeah, they just weren't going away. And I, I got a few of the girls sort of from work in the ultrasound and say, oh, can you have a bit of a look here? And they, yeah, they're yeah, they like, oh, Josh, go see a doctor. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get sick. I'm the one who does the scans. But anyhow, they finally convinced me to go see a doctor. And yeah, thank God they did. Yeah, because I, so I had a biopsy and I I didn't lose a, a, a lick of sleep whatsoever. I I thought they will just give me the royal treatment just because of you know I worked in the industry and anyway six days later it came back um, yeah and I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So what exactly is that? Uh, basically, that's um, it's yeah so it's like a, a a cancer I guess if you will of the of the lymph node. So um, yeah, so I had the posterior cervical chain. So basically, the back left side of my neck. Um, I had probably about fifteen like decent lumps, you know, sort of small marble size felt like, you know, it did feel like marble sort of embedded under my skin in, in the muscle type thing. And so basically what it does is it, it's, I didn't feel feel sick or anything like that. But, um, you know, what it does, is it start, it's, quite, it's quite quick. So it's a spread. So that's why you want to get onto it quick. But that's, in saying that's another reason why it reacts so well to treatment. Luckily, I got it at stage one. It hadn't spread anywhere so it was just in the, that, that lymph node um, area I, I said before and um, yeah so went into the chemotherapy about so it was all pretty quick so within two weeks I was I was doing chemo and yeah that's that's what made me sick I thought you know being I well, was 33 at the time I was pretty fit um, and I thought yeah you know I'll be fine but nah that that really smoked me it hit me for six
1: that's crazy man what causes it like is there anything they know of or is it just a uh, uh, pretty random yeah,
2: it is it is a li- like a little random so they so i don't want to scare people but um so if you've had the epstein-barr virus or um what what's more commonly known as glandular fever you have a higher chance of uh <laughs> getting it you it doesn't mean you will whatsoever it just that's one of the things that they've found that um you know uh, people who have had uh, glandular fever in the past a, a little more susceptible to getting it. it doesn't mean you will doesn't mean it's a much more increased chance but there's some sort of link there um i didn't know i'd had it it turns out that i had had it in the past because when they did the biopsy they could tell that yeah i had had this epstein-barr virus and I, when i think back i'm pretty sure i know exactly when it was it was when i was living in portugal um in a hostel working there <laughs> so you know many late nights and i just thought that's what it was that's why i was so tired but uh, pretty, <laughs> that's probably what it was. Was the Epstein-Barr virus? Full on. And how long did the chemo uh, treatment take? So I was pretty lucky with that chemo. I had um, uh, it's a pretty, it's a decent dose. It's called ABVD. That's the the drugs. Well, that's just yeah the acronym they call of the drugs, and it's a decent, a decent whack. And I, I'm a decent sized guy. I was about 100 kilos at the time. So you know, I, I, they um, work out your dose by weight. So anyway, I got a fair bit, um, and it was every two weeks I'd have chemo, and that was over a period of two months. So it it wasn't, it definitely wasn't as bad as um, some people. You know, like when I was in hospital for a bit, um, I got admitted for a while, and yeah, there was this guy next to me, and you know, he he was on his sort of ninth ninth month of chemo. So I was really lucky in that aspect. You know, as I said, it did make me pretty crook, and you know, lost the hair and everything like that, but. Um, yeah, as far as it goes, it could have been far, far worse. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you're all good now? I'm good. Yeah. So coming up um, in March, fingers crossed, we'll be two years in remission. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Um, but I feel really good, and you know, all my checkups have been great. And yes, and that's it, mate. I just, I'm, I've got a pretty positive outlook on it. It's one of those things where, as you said before, yeah, I mean, I'm getting around to this long. <laughs> long um, segue I guess but yeah it did it it made me realize we don't know as grim as this sounds we don't know if we're going to be here next week so you have to and it it, I guess it gave me a little fast forwards to sort of tell myself well you know mate just if you want to keep doing one day trading a week for another two three years until you can you know build up more money or something like that um, you, you might not be here and so yeah it really did give me that sort of motivation to be like all right, I do have enough money put aside like I'll just have to sort of make so I won't be able to live the same lifestyle I've been living, but you know, that's sacrifice, isn't it? And if you want to do something like this, you can't expect that you're going to live exactly the same lifestyle from the get-go. So, I thought, yeah, why not? Times now. Um, let's do it. And yeah, so that's that's what I did. So, how long have you been trading full-time
1: for as of today?
2: As of today, I've been probably about uh, what are we now? January. So, about 15, 16 months full time. And I've had, you know, a little, little, uh, probably had a month off in that um, in that period there. So, yeah, just a bit over a year. And, uh, mate, I haven't looked back to tell you the truth. I absolutely love it.
1: <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. That's really good. So, obviously, we highlighted a couple of things just before that you uh, were well, well capitalized. You had decent funds behind you. And to begin with, you started to cut down on your hours at work. When you did take the the plunge to go hundred percent full time trading, were there any was there anything else which you did to prepare? Like you you kind of hinted there that you made some slight adjustments to, you know, your lifestyle. Your lifestyle. I don't imagine they were huge dramatic changes, but um, was there anything else which you did do uh, in order to prepare for this this change?
2: Well, look, I had—I was living with a girlfriend at the time, so I was lucky in that aspect too that I had her to sort of not rely on but support, I guess. And so I wasn't too – because when you have to think about it, if, especially if you work a social job, basically, if you're going to go start trading full-time from home, you're not going to see many people. And that can be a big factor for some people, you know, they they um, and I'm a pretty social guy, so the others, um, I had I had her to come home every day, which was great. But yeah, probably other little tiny adjustments that people don't really think of was, you know, I made sure that I was um, I had I was going to the gym all the time, gym classes, so I could see see people and just sort of have that day to day interaction. Yeah, little little things like that. But yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a heap of like. Well, probably another thing. It's not really on that same vein, but. Preparing to go full time was getting turning the um, like I was. I had a sort of little home office, but I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this properly, I want more screens. And um, you know, so I had to get a better desk. And because I'm sitting in this chair all the time, you know, I went out and sort of I really sort of turned it into a proper home office. And I think that's kind of important because it's you know, you, you might be a month into it and you're like, oh, you know, and you start sort of spending time. Googling, better chairs, better desks, better screens, things like that. You just want to sort of hit the ground running because that's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like when you're a kid, you just learn so much in these first few weeks of um, it's such a, you know, sensation that you're sort of thrust into, you know, you, you try and just absorb as much and you don't want to be too distracted, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good point actually. I mean, for me personally, I've never kind of thought twice about spending money on that sort of thing. Uh, because I spend so much time in front of the computer, um, it's like when I started the podcast, I just went out and bought like the best equipment I could. All those little things—they they really matter, you know. If you're trying to, you know, you're struggling away on a little laptop or something, you're not going to get great results, you know. You want to be kind of put yourself in the best position to succeed, I think.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's and that was kind of my reasoning as well. I was like, you know, as I said, I had that little bit of money put aside, that capital anyway, so. I didn't dig too deep into it, but I did buy stuff that was, you know, decent screens you know, and you want to have a good set, especially if you start running, you know, um, more screens, you need to make sure that you, your computer can handle it, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you do have to sort of, you have to get into that mindset where, I mean, you don't go crazy, but you, you're going to have to spend money to make money, if that makes sense.
1: It does. Yeah. You need to invest in yourself.
2: Yeah. You've
0: seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback, but if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then
3: Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more.
1: Let me ask you, what misconceptions did you have? Or even if they weren't misconceptions, maybe unexpected challenges, um, or, or realizations that you came to um, once you did begin to trade full-time?
2: I'm pretty confident, Guy. Like, you know, not uh, overconfident, but at the same time, I felt like I'd prepared myself quite well to to step into full-time trading. And I didn't expect to sort of, you know, be making money day one, even, you know, three, four months in. But I, I, I probably thought, you know, by six months, I'd, I'd have a decent handle on it. Uh, and that just wasn't the case. I think, you know, you've got, you sort of have to realize that the market changes every day. And it, it sort of morphs from, uh, you know, what it was two months ago. It's completely different to what it may be today. Um, you might be sort of in these churny ranges or, you know, you might be in a strong sort of small little bull run or, a you know, bear run type things like that. So that was probably the one of the things that I didn't really think about too much like you know we all read the books and stuff yeah marketing conditions this and that but I don't know maybe in my head I was thinking oh you know setups will still work in this setups will work in that but you know you start making progress in in a typical market condition for example and then as I said two three months later it's just not working and and I didn't really think that would happen so like the market sort of changes so quick so that was one of the big sort of challenges. Just when you sort of feel like you're making progress, next minute the market changes and nothing you're doing is working. So, you kind of, it almost feels like you're back to square one a little bit.
1: How much money did you put in your actual trading account to to get
2: started? So, I started, um, I had I had 50, 50K to start with, but with um, with my broker, you know, I I trade on a leveraged account, so I didn't really need that. Um, and you know, I was speaking to a few guys, and you know, he'd been trading for quite a while, and they just said to me, "Look, if you don't need it in there, uh, don't don't have it." So I pulled it back to twenty, and that was that was good. You know, I never sort of because um, I wasn't going massive to start in any case. Um, you know, in some some stocks you can get five percent margin, so you can still put on decent size. But um, yeah, that, that's probably another thing that. I didn't really think about, but you know, I, I had, I have a mortgage on an apartment that I rent out and, um, you know, so I have an offset account and it was, it's, it's embarrassing to say this, but yeah, I, I didn't need that 50 grand in the, you know, the extra 30 grand in the trading account. So it was so much better off just sitting in my offset account, um, taking a bit of the interest away. So, but 20 K was on a leveraged account. I think that was definitely more than enough for, um, when I started, and I probably could have even gone as low as 10.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way uh, things work in Australia trading uh, direct market access CFDs, you can get pretty substantial buying power with, with $20,000. So, especially like in your first couple of months trading, even if you've got the money, uh, it's, it's probably not wise to be trading, you know, 50 grand leveraged up. Um, you know, you can, you can do enough damage with 20, 20K.
2: Yeah, 100%. And that's the other thing as well. I mean, you're kind of eliminating sort of an external risk there as well. If something was to go wrong with the broker, um, you know, which has happened in the past. Yeah. You know, we've all heard stories like horror stories like that, that, you know, at least all your money wasn't in that account. So if you don't need it, there's no real reason to have it.
1: So how much did you, what's the most you've you've drawn down on the account? Like you said, um, you know, this first few months weren't, you weren't going up in P&L. Uh, how much did you come down?
2: Yeah, I ended up coming down to – I was pretty good to start with. Um, I wasn't going too big or anything like that. But then as I started to increase my size, I started to get um, – yeah. uh, I wasn't um, o- overconfident, but I wanted to get comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. Um, and I probably took that a little bit too far. And so I probably drew down about 12 – 12,000, so I was down to around 8,000, and that was when I started, you, you you start to realize, well, I am trying to increase my size here, but it gets in your, you know, you don't trade properly you, if you go too big too too soon, you're not trading properly, you're not trading your plan, you're, you're watching your P&L every tick, and, you're, and, you know, you're not getting comfortable becoming uncomfortable, you're just becoming way too uncomfortable. So, that was when probably that period where I took the the, uh, big drawdown and yeah i was again probably lucky i only had the 20k in there because who knows maybe i would have even been sizing up bigger which again is i I probably wouldn't have but you just never know when you get into sort of that mindset when you're spiraling a little bit
1: yeah might just take one day we're not thinking clearly and um just get a little bit too aggressive when you shouldn't be yeah when you drew your account down to uh around about eight thousand dollars. Was there ever a point where you started to doubt your ability to be able to do this?
2: Definitely, yeah. I started to think. You get all these negative thoughts, like, "Oh, you know, you idiot. What have you done? (laughs) (laughs) What's your mother going to think?" No, but um, I, I did. I started to sort of doubt my ability, and I thought, you know, I started to think, "Oh, you know, is it is it luck? Was it luck?" And then I and I also was struggling as well because that. When I was down at eight eight k, I couldn't size like I used to. So even and what I was doing, I I was probably I was probably overtrading a little bit as well. So I had my account was sort of maxed out across, you know, five six different trades or setups type thing, and all of a sudden, you know, a really good setup an A plus setup would come through, and I had no money to left over to chuck into that trade, and so I'm you know pulling out of these other trades I'm in, and it was just—it was a vicious cycle, really. It's—it's it's not a good place to be, and and then obviously that really started to, yeah, weigh on, on what I thought my ability was, and thought, mate, you've you've bitten off more than you can chew.
1: <laughs> this isn't something that gets spoken about very often, and I actually had a really good conversation on the subject um, in an episode, which I was hoping to put out in December, but um, unfortunately wasn't able to release it. Uh, I tweeted about it at the time. One of the things which was spoken about during that episode was having this point where you give up. Did you have a point about or was sort of a an idea in your mind about when you... May give up if this wasn't um, like. Did you have a cut off point?
2: Yeah, I, I, I had sort of. You know, it's funny. You, you start to uh, bargain with yourself when you get into a sort of these positions. You're like, oh, <laughs> you're like, oh, you know, if you, <laughs> it's stupid. You sort <laughs> of you you, you are. You, it's you look back and even saying it is embarrassing because. You think, if I was listening to this conversation, like, hey, who is this guy? What's he doing? But, um, yeah, you, you do make these bargains with yourself, like, oh, you know, if you can just, you know, stick it out, if you don't lose any money, if you don't go down to six grand or whatever, you know, you're good to go, you're good to go, and I'll add a bit more to the account so you can start the sizing up again. But, and then also as well, once I started to sort of get into that state of despair, well, not despair, but like, yeah, doubting myself, like you are saying before, I I had sort of said to myself all right if this 20 grand goes I'll give you, I'll I'll put another 20 in but that's it if I wasn't making progress if I was going to just get you know um blow up another 20 grand I did have to sort of really look myself in the mirror and say mate it's just not working you know you're going to have to um have to give it up because otherwise it would just if I'm not making progress when I should be, then, you know, I think that was what they say. That's a definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often sort of bring myself back to that saying when, in my trading as well. I'm like, what are you doing, mate? You, <laughs> you're doing what you did before um, you, and you're expecting it to work for you this time. And occasionally you will get that luck, but that's not, you don't want to be riding luck in your trading career. So, but yeah, I think I had that sort of, Probably yeah that if I'd lost that forty grand, like if I'd give myself an extra twenty and then lost that, I would have really been like, all right, mate, um, back to Centrelink and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and start hitting the job ads. But no, nah, thankfully it didn't get to that. But it's funny you say that because um, there's another. I I, I, I kind of have checkpoints for myself because you know I'm still sort of don't get me wrong, I'm still learning. And I learn every day. Um, and I'm not, um, I know I'm not invincible in the market and so I I do have checkpoints that I, you know, sort of give myself and one was just, you know, after Christmas, New Year period, I wanted to look at, you know, sort of my results and my equity curve and make sure it was pointing in the right direction because that had been over a year by then. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago and yeah, I thought, you know, if I'm not after sort of 15, 16 months starting to point that equity curve up, maybe I've got to have a real hard look at myself and... And just think you know I'm not cutting the mustard here and anyway I've got to the point and I've yep I've passed that checkpoint and then so I've kind of given like in my um, yearly review I'll do um, six monthly checkpoints now and just make sure I'm heading in the right direction make sure I've got enough money to to last the next six months things like that and all and that's that's kind of it's yeah it's funny you bring that up I think that's probably Especially for uh, oh look I don't know I'm not I'm no expert but maybe the first definitely few years you can't sort of get ahead of yourself even when you are having good periods I think you still potentially need to sort of give yourself that that check and make sure you are on the right path and you're not just um, you know just being blasé about what, what your results are like and whether or not you're moving forward
1: yeah. I think it's definitely something which needs to be given some consideration. It needs to be factored in a little bit. Obviously, it's one of those things which you just don't really want to think about as a as a newer trader. You're obviously coming to this very optimistic, but you know there is a there is a real opportunity cost to um, the time that you invest in, in trying to learn how to trade and and find you know a way to extract some P and L from the market.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. And then I think another thing as well is. The reason why you sort of you don't think about it is you, you you know you don't want to feel like a failure like a lot of your family and your friends know you've taken this big step and not everyone makes it in the market and it's I mean taking a step is a brave thing to do especially if you've given yourself every chance you know to make it but even if you don't it's it's not um as long as you weren't you know stupid and just gambling your money away on the market but I think that's probably one of the harder things, it's your pride as well. So you don't want to think about not, you know, this give up point because you're like, oh, that's a, it's in your own mind. You think it's a failure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're dead on. And I mean, I have a huge amount of respect and admiration for anybody who's taken the step to throw everything into this and try and learn how to trade, obviously responsibly.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Like, you know, you, you have to be think you have to be responsible for your own actions as well. You can't blame the market. Oh, some guy hunted my stop, whatever. Like, mate, you just (laughs) occasionally you'll get, you know, you will get slippage and stuff, but if you keep your wrist tight, you can you don't you're not just sort of throwing everything away. Yeah, just be responsible for your for your own actions really. Too right. So
1: how have you been trading and has there been like obviously your accounts bounced from that $8,000 point, did you change what you were doing in any way? Like, was there a significant change or did you just tighten up some things? Um, and, and just, I haven't asked you this question yet, but like, just for anyone who's listening, just give a real brief kind of overview to your,
2: your style and
1: approach to trading.
2: Yeah, no doubt. So, pretty much what I do is, and you know, you've probably heard a few people say it in your interviews before, on the ASX especially intraday trading, we don't get these huge swings and moves throughout the day. So my style is, it's discretionary, but I do try and, you know, sort of scalp with size, you know, sort of in the lower denomination stocks where you're not paying massive brokerage because we have different um, brokerage structure to how it's traded in the States and overseas. But yeah, so basically, I'm looking at the lower denom stocks, you know, small mid, mid cap, Probably mid cap are more comfortable. I'm still not brilliant with the small cap because they can have some um, some pretty big swings. But uh, yeah, basically what I try and do is I try and you know trade stocks that um, fit that bill, but also they have a catalyst, um, so they're an in place stock, um, and then you know so they're going to they're going to have movement throughout the day, and yeah, basically I I try and use well, I try and read the order flow and jump in front of the big money when I can, and then you know, jump in, have it spike up or spike down, whichever direction I'm going. And then, yeah, with a little bit of size myself and then, you know, scalping around throughout the day, really, scalping like a madman.
1: (laughs) So when you talk about scalping, uh, how many trades, just rough numbers here, might you take on any given day?
2: Yeah, probably not massive compared to what, you know, you'd read up about scalping. But I don't sort of hold for, you know, like I wouldn't even hold some stocks for more than an hour but like I'll probably trade on a good day like when I'm not over trading I'll do maybe eight trades or you know I might jump in and out of a stock a few times so trading around probably five six stocks uh, maybe trade them a couple times each way if I've got a good feel for the stock and when I say scalping I'm trying to let's say for example a stock you know broke through the one dollar mark the one dollar level and then you get that instant sort of spike up to a dollar three you know if if there's no follow through and there's, you know, someone's put, um, someone's jumped on the bid and it just doesn't feel like it's going to be much follow through, I'm happy to take that. Um, so you know, sort of your three pips or well, six pips, I guess, because we trade um, half points there. But with our commission structure as well, it, scalping like that wouldn't work on a stock, say, you know, a seventy dollar stock because you're just going to tear up your account with commissions there. So, you, let's say, for example, I've seen on some of the brokers here, it's it's let's say for example, introduction rate is 10, 10 basis points. So a round trade is gonna cost you twenty basis points. So if you took one percent of a move in a seventy dollar stock, so let's say you bought it right at 70, it went up to $70.70 70 and you sold, that's a 1% move. Well, what's that one fifth of your profit is gonna get taken in commission there? So and then if you were if you were just scalping that. You have to get 0.2 of a percent just to break even, just for your um, commission. So, yeah, if you were to take 15, 15 points, so seven fifteen, sorry, seventy dollars fifteen, for example, you'd only just be breaking it even. So, you do need that bigger move um, in those larger stocks just make it worthwhile with your commission, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will just say if you're paying 10 basis points and you're actively trading intraday, yeah.
2: you might need your broker.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be tough. Very yeah, tough. that's
2: it. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's another thing. You know, building a relationship with a broker, and they know that you're sort of serious about it. And I mean, you know, you can get competitive brokers out there, and as long as they're giving you what you need, and uh, yeah, I think that's um, another big thing you have to think about. Yeah, your brokerage and and how much commission um, percentage of your profit per day you sort of you're, you're doing.
1: Yeah, it's a big part of it. Now, I guess the the first part of that question, which I Asked you was when you drew your count down to around about that $8,000 mark, things kind of turned around from there. Um, And I don't mean turn around as though, like, you know, just you came down and you bounced straight off, but, you know, things started to pick up. Yeah. Did you do anything differently or did you just find a better groove in the market? Like, can you explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Sorry, I did go on a a tangent there. I think what I was saying was, yeah, I was starting to look, yeah, at. I went down to trade those lower denom stocks because what was happening was I was, you know, trading sort of, you know, in, you know, stocks that were $10, 20 $30, and I just wasn't getting those moves. So I wasn't, you know, for each, if I had a win rate of 50%, for example, you know, every trade that I lose, I've got the commission on top of the losing trade as well. So um, I started to go down to the lower denom stocks and yeah, really focus on the order flow and not just sort of, you know, where a level is like, oh, you know, it should bounce here, not actually even looking at the, um, you know, what, what the price action is doing, whether there's heavy selling into the support, things like that. I really started to, yeah, take it much more, I put a lot more energy into learning how to read the order flow. And that's where things started to turn around and pick up for me. Okay. Just on
1: that point about order flow, is there anything Uh, specific which you're looking for I know these types of things can be a little bit hard to put into words but uh, is there something that you like to see within the order book
2: in the order book itself I don't really pay all that much attention because we've all seen it you know what's there one second might be pulled you know it it's ticks down one one point but I think what I, you know, what I really sort of am looking for is I'm looking for. I almost tell myself a story, as weird as this sounds. Like, if I'm in a stock that I have that has a catalyst and it's, and I think, all right, there's. If I see selling pressure, I'm like, okay. Let's say, for example, I was, you know, um, a big player, and I had, um, I had to get rid of, you know the 3 million units of stock type thing. I'm not just going to chuck it all on the market at once because, you know, that's not going to work. So what I'll look for is I want to see, um, you know, these, all the, these sort of big volumes of, in of selling and then maybe letting the, the, the order book fill back, back up a little bit. And then once a few more bids appear, yeah, I want to see it sort of get sold back into again. And I try, I, try and tell myself okay that's where the um where where the direction is um that's where it seems to be anyway and then yeah i want to and i i I try and think in my head if i was that sort of broker that needs to sell all that stock so i am looking for those bigger heavy sellers so once it pulls up a little bit and you know it might not get as far back as it um let's say for example it's gone to 625 and it's been sold down to 620 you know it's so it's almost like a I don't know, like a pond just slowly filling and then all of a sudden splash and all the um, all the bids get splashed out of the water again by that big sell. I know it's a weird analogy, but <laughs> that's what's going through my head at the moment.
1: This particular example which you've described here, would this be something which you were looking to trade on the short side or is that a long opportunity?
2: Yeah, a bit of both. So I'd probably be looking for a short opportunity if I could. So there is a, um an example I can think of actually in my head, there was uh, um, FMG, so Fortescue Metals, which, um, you know, they're big in iron ore producer in Australia. And I remember the iron ore market, sorry, the iron ore chart was going uh, crazy the on the SINA's um, website. Anyway, I remember it just kept going up and up and FMG was just, it was going down and I thought, oh, when's this, you know, it's got to be um, an opportunity coming here for the longer it just didn't for days and days on end iron ore just kept trending up, the price of iron ore and fmg was just getting sold into and that's when i really started to um, remember okay you want to look for that massive massive seller who obviously has that big order um and that's when even though in your head you're like oh there's got to be a long somewhere until you, you you know you don't see the seller around for a while then you know i think especially in that situation that was a short Pretty much every day, and I actually did quite well on that because I finally figured out okay, there's a big seller here, and he's just he's every day he'd appear, he'd appear, he'd move up a little bit with sort of in conjunction with the um with the iron ore price, and then it would just get smashed back down. So, um, but obviously intraday you do look for selling into levels, and um, you might have a quick scalp off, say like a round number. Usually you're going to get some um, defense if there was a seller, let's say, for example, selling into $6 and you're probably going to get a lot of people who are like, this is a good price to buy. So, you know, if you can get that, sometimes if you get a little pop through to the downside, you might look for a quick long scalp, Um, but I wouldn't be, if there was a seller that I had sort of spotted in the order flow, I probably wouldn't be holding on too much longer.
1: Okay. 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 Josh, I would like to ask you, moving on a little bit here, I guess, to actual improvement. Are there any steps you're taking currently, like deliberate steps, to help you improve and get better?
2: Yeah, I I do journal every day. and like, you know, it is a bit of a bore sometimes. But to be fair, I really think it's a crucial part in, in getting better because you make six, seven, eight trades a day. Um, for example and then basically what you do is you go you, you know you sort of go to bed and you, you get up in the morning you've just completely forgot about them like in your head you might you, you remember the sort of the basis of the trade but you won't remember the intricacies of it so I think writing it down at the end of the day you know really sort of getting into the nitty-gritty of it and you know writing it up in detail I think it it does help quite a fair bit and I do notice that when I really do put in a couple of hours after the market closes in doing my journaling I do start to improve again and uh, I, and that's my goal well that's yeah not my goal but I've sort of given myself the task this year of you know you're never too good to journal um, we're well, not in my position at the moment anyway so I'm just I'm just making sure I do that every day even if it is takes me two hours after market I think it's one of those things that I have to do
1: Two hours that seems like quite a long time you know, 10 hours a week sort of thing. What goes into your journal? Like if we were to look at that, what, what, what would we see?
2: So what I do is I, I type in all the metrics for all the sort of the trade, like the profit, the loss, the percentage of the commissions per trade, because I'm really trying to focus on that as well. Like I want to let these, if the trades can run a little bit, um, you know, if I think I can squeeze a bit more out of them, like even an extra pip here and there might cover the, um, the cost of the commission um, and so, you know, nutting into that percentage of the of the actual percentage of the commission off your profit. If Sorry, I've waffled on a bit there. But, you know, so I'm looking at also like every setup I've taken, I'll annotate the chart as to where I got in, where I got out. And it, it does help me a little bit since I've been, you know, annotating the charts. And I don't really trade off charts, but I think it, it gives me... I still will have a chart. I do watch a chart when I'm trading. Um, but... I think it sort of helps me, uh, t- especially taking a step back. I annotate the five-minute chart, so I think what that does it helps me um, the next day stop, tr- you know, getting caught up in trading the noise and and also look for better entries because sometimes I'm just, you know, well, I, you know, six months ago, I'd be like, oh, momentum's here, I need to jump straight in, and then you know, you're, you you get sort of offside a fair bit if it doesn't. You know flush through if you were shorting through a level if it doesn't flush through straight away you know you're getting offside and you're starting to feel a little bit like oh i'm not that comfortable in this trade anymore um but yeah, ever since i've been doing these annotations i've realized you know usually you have a bit more time and you can kind of be a bit more patient and wait for a better entry um it's just so much easier to hold a bit longer and then obviously what i'll do as well is i'll do a write-up of the of the trade itself and what um Exa- like w- exactly what I did, and you know what I could probably have done better. And um, yeah, if it's if it's a really good setup, I might even you know playbook that setup. And that's obviously a, an SMB reference, but SMB capital reference. But yeah, I've, I learn a lot from that, and that's probably why I journal so much.
1: Okay, so there's consistent journaling. Uh, how about actual goals? You know, it's a new year, start of 2020. Uh, have you thought about specific goals for the the upcoming twelve months?
2: That was I guess one of my goals to really journal hard um, you know put in the hours um, but another I, I want to sort of keep you know my equity curve just keeping up in that nice steady steady line and I think what that comes down to is when you sort of you look at your your metrics of your trades like your you know your p and l ratio your um, what your sort of win loss percentages, things like that. So I'm trying to keep those metrics sort of stable, Um, not too volatile if that makes sense. Obviously, I'll take the volatility to the upside, but (laughs) you don't want it to come down too much um, because that's when it starts getting a bit messy. So, um, but another thing as well, I've really given myself a goal for this year is to, to really focus on the market and what it actually does. You know, I was speaking to a mate today who has you know sort of trade with chat with him during the day and we're talking about we've never traded in a on the ASX it, you know he's similar age to me maybe a bit older but um, he he's never traded nor have I in when our market is at all-time highs. so this is this is new for us so it's almost like <laughs> a new frontier for for traders in our position what does the market do when it's when the index is at all-time highs, So that's another goal of mine this year to really focus in on where the market is, what the market's doing, and how that sort of affects my setups and, yeah, the trade outcomes, things like that.
1: Yeah, I like that last point. That's really interesting, actually.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's something, as, as I was kind of saying, I, I mentioned it a lot earlier on, but, yeah, you know, the market does have all these different variables it'll morph itself into but this is a completely new one for us where you know i think today what do we finish at all time is it what um the xjo finished at six nine nine four point eight, so that's an all-time high for us and yeah you're kind of wondering in my head i'm like is everything too is it overvalued but the market keeps going up so there's people that are willing to sort of you know keep paying or you know buying these stocks because there's no sort of overhang. Um, so I guess you just have to trade what's in front of you and, and really listen and focus on what the market's saying, I guess, as yeah. weird as that sounds.
1: Mo- moving into a, a new regime pretty much.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Mm. I'd be interested to ask you this question. Obviously, if we look at how you've traded over the past, let's just say 12 months, uh, you've been profitable. So if we look at your Account balance, you know, end of December compared to January at the beginning of the year. Uh, You've made money, but would you consider yourself to be consistently profitable? Because a lot of people, that's their goal is to be consistently profitable. But I also think a lot of people uh, perhaps don't really uh, think about what that might look like. So do you feel as though you've reached a point where you can comfortably say, I'm consistently profitable. Um, you're confident in your ability to make money. How do you envision consistency to look like, and, and have you reached that?
2: Yeah, it's it's a good point because if you'd asked me that three months ago, I would have said, yeah, yeah, I'm at that point where you know I'm consistently profitable now. I'm making enough money that I can live off. Um, but then again, you know, November, December came around. There just wasn't as much opportunity for you know the trades I take and I just churn sideways for quite a while so um you know I I think yeah uh, to me consistently profitable is just making money in you know having good results in all market conditions probably one of the things the biggest lesson I learned out of the last two months where I was churning sideways was when the opportunities aren't there you just have to take a step back like don't not trade or anything but don't try and push it because every time I was trying to push it, that was when I was, um, you know, I'd, I'd have a good day and I'm like, all right, tomorrow, you know, just, you know, push those trades and i will just give everything back. And it was just, it was, yeah, it was a cycle over two months. And uh, I mean, I didn't really fall back too far on the equity curve. Um, and it, it is just, it just looks like it, if you looked at it, it looks like a chart that's consolidating. But I wouldn't say I'm at the point where, yeah, especially after these two months, I've realized, yeah, I'm definitely at the point where I can rely on just having money coming in week in, week out. You know, you have to sort of get to the point where even when you have a good period, you have to sort of squirrel them away, I guess, squirrel your nuts away, so so to speak. But yeah, I think consistently profitable to me, the goal is to, yeah, make money, even if it's not, you know, making the same amount of good Returns week in week out that you do when when the trades are there for you, still don't lose and just sort of keep keep the um, equity curve ticking up by not doing too much and just waiting, being patient, waiting for the conditions to return in your favour. I guess.
1: One last question, Josh, just to take us out here. One piece of advice which someone gave you, or if they didn't give you directly, maybe something you've heard or read somewhere uh, that actually made a difference.
2: I've I've been pretty lucky in the fact that there's a pretty good online community here, especially in, I mean, I'm sure it's the same all around the world, but in in Australia, a lot of people who trade in the ASX, um, there's a lot of people out there on Twitter, there's chat rooms, things like that. And I was struggling a little bit. I I had this one really bad day. um, And, you know, it was sort of after I'd learned, well, I'd, you know, sort of increased my skills in learning how to read order flow and things like that. But it was a, uh, what was it? the trade was um, I think it was Challenger Financial, and I actually got smoked in it. Like every every time it tried to, you know, it, it gapped up. It looked like it was going to go further, and it pulled back to about the seven 700 um, like seven hundred level, like I say, it in cents, so seven dollar level. And I, I remember thinking, oh, this is a good a good spot to jump in. Uh, you know, I probably went too big too soon, and then it dropped through. And I thought, I say, okay, I've still got plenty of bullets, and I just kept adding in, and and it just wouldn't bounce. And anyway, I, you know, I, t- I took my biggest loss of of you know, it was my worst trade, my biggest loss of my um, you know, short trading career. But it really got me down. And anyway, I have a few people that, as I'm saying, that I trade with, and you know, sort of going through through the trade with Chuck, Chuck and Libby. Um, after market and Libby said said to me, she goes, why were you in that trade? And I said, well, what do you mean? Like I was just waiting for it to bounce. She's like, yeah, every time it bounced, it couldn't even get sort of two, three ticks up, which was, you know, in a um, $7 stock, you know, it was hardly moving up whatsoever. It would just get sold into, sold into. She's like, you had a bias there and you completely gave up your sort of, you know, your order flow reading there just because you had a bias that you thought it was going to bounce because – it was an earnings earnings season's play, and it that from that day onwards, it really stuck like one. I was kind of embarrassed that you know I had been so undisciplined, and two, she she told me pretty bluntly, um, and I and I really thank her for it because from that day onwards, um, I, I really started. I one, I was disciplined, but two, I really got a bit more of a handle on on reading the order flow because, as I said, every time that stock tried to bounce, it would be sold into and sold into heavily. So it just wasn't, there was no long trade there whatsoever on the downside. Basically, she told me a new one. Um, <laughs> and But it really stuck in from that, I think that was the lowest point of my equity curve. Um, and ever since then, it has odd, sorry, lowest point in this last financial year that we've just had. So starting in June, uh, sorry, July. Yeah, since that, that day, You know, equity curve's gone up, and I think I had about ten or eleven winning weeks in a row, like green weeks in a row. After that, so one, it sunk in, and two, because I, you know, review my trades with these um these guys after after the market every day. I I don't want to sort of be embarrassed again. Um, if that makes sense, you have that sort of pride in yourself as well. But yeah, she she gave me um an earful, and I deserved it, and it stuck. It's basically she said. Forget your bias, trade trade what the price action is doing. Trade the order flow. Yeah,
1: I love that example, man. Absolutely makes sense too. Yeah. Uh, do you mind sharing some figures around that?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think by the end of the trade, like I was trying to scalp a little way out of it, but then add in, I think by the end of it all up, I was about four and a half grand down just on that one trade. And for me, that was a pretty big loss. That was, you know, like I'd be happy with a four and a half grand week let alone a day so at that stage and yeah that was um basically yeah really put me on a place but ever, uh, since then I think after that day I end up within a month I'd sort of uh, I had a you know $20,000 a month and then um followed it up with another $10,000 a month and then yeah so we're kind of sitting where I'm in that sideways action at the moment but yeah I'll probably have Libby to thank for that um that ear <laughs> bashing she gave me
1: <laughs> oh that's awesome man good yeah. stuff uh, Josh, if someone wants to fire you on Twitter, uh, would you mind sharing your handle?
2: Yeah, of course not. Um, so if they want to follow me, my handle is at JoshJEvans35. Um, and there's a picture of me with a big dirty moustache on there with a, with a sausage dog in my hand so you won't miss me. Okay.
1: <laughs> Very good. Well, I do want to say, Josh, uh, I appreciate you uh, putting your hand up to do this, this podcast. And I also appreciate how open you've been and sharing. I think it's going to be very relatable to a lot of people listening. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are considering uh, going into full-time trading probably gives them a bit more of a understanding about what to expect. Yeah, thank you very much for doing this.
2: No, it's been a pleasure. And I'm um, yeah, really happy that you've had me on here to tell my tale and I hope it hope it works because it is pretty lonely out there when you first start and a bit daunting, so uh, can be done. And hopefully in two years time, I'll, I'll come back and I'll be, more success, I'll be a successful trader. <laughs>
1: <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we'll have to lock that in. It would be great to have you back sometime. Yeah, for
2: sure, man. That'd be good.
1: All right, Josh, enjoy your evening and we'll chat soon. Cheers,
0: buddy. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon.